Hello and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I am Jens Nelson. And I am Lucas Stock. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life as we strive for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. So, uh, for those of you that have been around for a little bit, uh, every once in a while we do something kind of different, kind of fun, but we have a themed month. So if you if you recall, back in October we did Heretic Month. We thought, you know, with the Reformation and the... Um, celebration of the 500 and something anniversary it might be kind of fun to talk about some different heresies um in january we did jonah so we went through the book of jonah you know one chapter a week for each of the four weeks and now that it's may we're doing another themed month and uh and another (laughs) another alliteration uh we're doing martyr may uh, so this comes to us from our friend Allison, who I think way back in October, or November, when we asked for recommendations, she's like, hey, you guys should talk about different martyrs. Uh, so this month, in the month of May, every Tuesday is going to be a topic that relates to martyrs and martyrdom and um, you know things like that. And then on Friday... When we do our normal Christians of history, instead of um, you know talking about some random person, we're going to be talking about a specific martyr or perhaps a group of martyrs. So uh, we're we're pretty excited. We think this is going to be a really fun month, and um, you know I, I enjoy our theme months. It gives us uh, a chance to you know probably explore things that we wouldn't otherwise have explored, at least the length of time that we explore that idea. Um, and we also love when you know, when our listeners send us suggestions. So so thank you, Allison, for recommending Martyr Month. And um, as we begin today, uh, we're actually just going to be, it's a, it's a you know, pretty obvious one, but we're going to be talking about what is martyrdom? You know, what are martyrs? Like maybe you've heard that word before. Um, you know, maybe you know that Stephen was a martyr in, in Acts, uh, but maybe you don't know a whole lot beyond that. Um, especially for those of us who find ourselves living in the United States of America, uh, martyrdom is a pretty foreign topic. So we thought we would cover uh, historically what martyrdom has been, but also what it is today, even in in other parts of the world. So uh, over the course of this month, we hope that you'll you'll join us, that you'll um, be excited about this, and hopefully learn a little bit about this this idea. So um, without any further introduction, why don't we why don't we kind of jump right in? And Lucas, do you want to maybe give us a uh, a definition of what martyrdom is or what a martyr is? Yeah. So martyr uh, comes from Greek, like a lot of theological words or Christian words that we use. Um, and it basically just means witness to, you know, to, to be a witness, to witness to something, someone who is a witness, um, someone who testifies, those kinds of ideas are all all connected. Um, I'm going to be referring, especially in this first half, a lot to some information that I got from a great and helpful little book called Retrieving History, Memory and Identity Formation in the Early Church by Dr. Stefana Dan Lang, uh, who uh, was one of my professors last semester, and she's great. And um, I have not read all of this book, but it is a really cool little uh, book on uh, some really interesting topics in the early church, but there's a section on martyrology, which is really helpful for this episode. So um, she says that the martyrs are those who testified to the truth of Christ's sovereign lordship in their own lives, as well as over the entire world. 
So obviously you don't have to die to testify to something. You know, think about all the witnesses in all the courtrooms every day who testify to a crime that they witnessed. Um, that's, that's, you know, they, they are in this, in the strict, you know, uh, linguistic sense. They are, if we were speaking Greek, we would call them martyrs, but, um, it has sort of become more of a technical term over, you know, the centuries and the millennia, um, that typically when we refer to someone as a martyr, we're referring to someone who has died for whatever they believe in. Um, frequently we're talking about Christians dying for their faith, but I mean, at the end of the day, any movement could have a martyr, um, if they're arrested and, 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 or murdered for their commitment to their ideals and whatever they believe in. So I think we've all probably heard of martyrs. Like you were saying a second ago, like Stephen comes to mind in the Bible, um, there are other famous ones. Maybe we think of, you know, like Fox's Book of Martyrs from during the Reformation and people who were committed to the, you know, sola fide, faith alone, committed to the Reformation and were put to death for that. Or, or maybe we know of stories of more recent times. You know, there's like the very famous story of Nate Sane and Jim Elliott and the other um missionaries in ecuador like the movie i think it was called tip of the spear um they're another famous i think story from from really recent times that, that i think is well known among christians at least um and it, so these are all martyrs um and it's kind of interesting to me to to think about like it, it's a little counterintuitive but it is true and, and i think it makes sense when we think about the context politically um but there was a time in the early church where martyrdom played a really really big role in the church's spirituality like it wasn't just something that happened or that's something that you heard about or maybe even knew someone who experienced martyrdom but it was a really really big deal spiritually and devotionally for the church because they lived in a time and a place like many of our brothers and sisters do today and have, have, have throughout history. Um, but in the early years of the church, the early centuries of the church, all Christians were living in a context where their faith was illegal, they were ostracized from society, and they faced persecution, you know, ranging from economic hardship to being arrested, tried, and, and executed by the state, you know. Um, so I don't know if, if there's more to say in terms of like, you know, what is martyrdom? Um, at least at least nothing more that I think is necessarily helpful, you know, that I have. But I think it's, it's, it's good to just frame it in your mind as, as what the word means, which is just witness. Um, but it's witnessing, you know, to the utmost. It, it's like the the final witness or I, I guess you know maybe that's it's kind of a weird way to put it but um you can't really be a witness to something more you know committedly than giving your life here on earth for that thing that you believe in or that person or that cause or whatever um so i don't know if there's anything else you'd want to add yeah around sort of like ex like getting at sort of a a, a a you know groundwork for a definition or, or maybe some like good examples or whatever yeah i mean so to to highlight that 
that word witness, for example, in, in Acts 22, verse 20, uh, Paul is actually sort of talking about his own conversion, his, his, um, you know, his life before the faith and his life after um, becoming a Christian. And he says in verse 19, but I said, Lord, they know that in synagogue after synagogue, I had those who believed in you imprisoned and beaten. So he's talking about like what he used to do prior to coming to Christ. And in verse 20, he says, and when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, I stood there giving approval and guarding the clothes of those who killed him. Um, so it, it, it specifically calls out Stephen as that witness. And I'm pretty sure that mm. is that Greek word that we're saying that, that means witness that later comes to be associated with martyrdom. Um, and so this is when, when, when this is often the sense of that word witness, more than just witnessing something um, or being a witness to something. Um, but since the most striking, the most, I mean, for, for anybody to, to die for a cause is a pretty significant thing. To, to, to die for anything is, is significant. So this, this striking witness that Christians could bear, um, really, I mean, they're bearing the fact that they're going to die rather than deny this faith. And that's a, a substantial thing, especially in the world back back then. And so th this word soon began you know, to be used in reference to one who would not only witness to who Christ was, you know, through word and deed, um, but specifically a witness unto death. And, um, you know, that's part of what makes this so foreign in our American concept is we have tons of witnesses to Christ. We have tons of people who will proclaim his death, burial, ascension, uh, resurrection, all those things. Um, that wasn't the right order, I understand, but you know, you know yeah. what I mean. Like there, there, there are people who will speak of those things, uh, the the lives that we live and the things that we do show who and it witnesses to who we're living for. Um, but for many Christians in America, we don't go that far. We we don't go um, so far as to witness unto death. Um, you know, maybe Americans who live in other countries, missionaries. You know, you mentioned Jim Elliot, for example. Um, but yeah, that's that's really the only thing I wanted to highlight is, you know, the, the exact scriptural reference. And I believe there's even um, a reference like in Revelation 2, like one of the letters that Jesus is writing to one of the churches. Uh, I don't know why I didn't write it down, but I remember seeing as I was reading a little bit like a reference to the witnesses, but it was speaking to those who had who had passed. So um, these are explicit yeah. scriptural references to this idea of... Um, of martyrdom or what it would become anyway in the early centuries of the church yeah and i think it is really important to recognize that there are areas in you know certain areas and certain times in different places of history where P christians don't face this threat to their physical safety right are you know we here in the united states we live in an example of that where it is, you know, historically it, it's probably beneficial to be a Christian <laughs> socially and culturally. Maybe that's, you know, that's changing in some ways, I think, but um, certainly it's, it's never been true in, in our society's history and, and definitely in our lifetime that, that we're in danger for publicly proclaiming the name of Christ or, or claiming it as our own. Um, and then there are other times in history and places in history where the opposite is true. Um, you know, I know that I've been on mission trips where I had to lie on my visa form about why I'm visiting. You know, um, that exists in, in many different parts of the world, 
all across the world today for all kinds of different reasons. Maybe it's um, other uh, majority religions that that are hostile to another uh, religious view coming into the society. Maybe it's governments who want to suppress um, religions or Christianity specifically. Maybe it's it's um, more of a cultural thing and where it's socially difficult to to uh, become a Christian or to be a Christian. Um, and that's that's true now, where and that's true all throughout history, like like I mentioned earlier. And living in a in a place in an area that does not come with any sort of danger or social cost to being a Christian and to openly and publicly living as a Christian, um, it is easy for martyrdom to be something out there, whether whether the out there is across the world. Like we, we, you know, we read about Jim Elliot, or we read about Christians in some faraway country that are persecuted by their government, um, or maybe the faraway is back in time. You know, we read about uh, people in the Reformation who died for, for you know, to, to 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 translate the Bible into English or whatever, like like William Tyndale or um, people like that. Uh, Martin Luther, you know, being put on trial at the Diet of Worms. You know, here I stand. You know, he didn't end up dying, but um, well, he ended up dying, but he didn't end up being martyred. <laughs> but um, but you, you get what I mean. Like maybe we think of those things, um, but we probably wouldn't ever think of it in the context of the schools we go to, the churches we go to, the neighborhoods we live in, and the people we know, and our routines, our work, our grocery stores. Uh, you know, our what we do with our free time when we you know take our families to the movies. Like the the world that we inhabit, being people in the West today in the 21st century like that's just not something we're going to think of but that's not the case for those christians who live in the places and the times where it is a threat and we see this when we look at the early church specifically um historically we can see the the impact that martyrdom had on the life of the church during the time where regardless of who you were or where you were being a christian was a threatening prospect or at least carried with it the very real possibility of a threat. Um, there are um, uh, uh, stories like in the Acts of the Martyrs is a book, which is just a collection of martyr accounts, which which not only gives us history of different martyrs and martyrdoms that took place, but also shows the importance that these stories were passed down and written down and collected to be remembered to be uh, you know distributed among different churches probably or different communities of, of Christians um, and that's you know we, we talk about martyrs being witnesses um, one of the functions of a witness um, and a sp- specifically of Christian martyrdom is to serve as a memorial so you think about the the 12 stones on the Jordan River that Joshua had the elders set up I think I think I have that right. <laughs> in the, in the story. Um, and, and so that, you know, he says, your, your, you know, your children and your children's children will say, what are these stones for? And you, you, you can point to them and you can remember what the Lord did in, you know, delivering you into the promised land. It serves as this memorial. Um, that's how the, the martyrs serve. They were like living and dying memorials stones for later Christians. Um, and remembering them kind of served as, a tool and an aid for training for spiritual combat. You know, I, I know spiritual warfare, you know, it deserves an episode of its own, but um, we, 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 we still use this language, even if 
we might interpret it in different ways depending on our traditions and stuff. Um, spiritual combat, you know, there's the the image of of Paul as an athlete and a soldier he uses in his letters. Like this is a very real, a very biblical and, and historically rooted you know metaphor for the spiritual life is it's combat and one of the ways to train for this war that we're fighting against not flesh and blood but powers and principalities is the the example and the memorial and the um the encouragement the the uh uh role models that the martyrs served as and part of that remembrance and that memorial uh of the martyrs came out in the the church's liturgy and how the church worshiped um and and commemorated martyrs in the act of of worship so they would meet together on the anniversary of their martyr's death maybe at their grave or at the site of their death um and, and they would they would read their story out loud you know that's where that acts of the martyrs is a good a good example of of something that um was 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 in use not just some dusty old history book but it was something that was used by the Christian community. There were prayers uh, that were inserted into the Eucharistic services on those days that commemorated the martyr, um, even praying to the martyr as that practice became more widespread and everything. And we still see that in, in traditions that pray to saints today. Um, homilies and sermons would be dedicated to the martyr for that day. You know, we can read like uh, a homily uh, by like John Chrysostom um, dedicated to a, a martyr who the church is remembering on that day as their, their, you know, their sort of their sort of birthday, quote unquote, birth into heaven, you could say. Um, sacred art icons, those kinds of things, um, and even relics. You know, it was commonplace for churches would be built on a sacred site on a, on a site of a martyrdom with the bones of the martyr being placed under the altar. You know, and that comes from a revelation, um, not not two, but but a little later. Um, I think it's chapter four or five where, where the martyrs are under the altar in heaven and they're asking God, how long until you avenge us? And he says, wait a little while longer. And they've been given their, their pure white robes and everything. Um, and so relics from the martyrs would be, would be, would be retained and placed, you know, the church, the church, the altar would be put on top of that as a, as a remembrance and as a reminder and as, as reverence for, um, for the, the martyr that had gone before as an example, as a witness unto, unto even death. Um, so it, these are all things that, that we, you know, aspects of our day-to-day, week-to-week, year-to-year worship cycle that we don't have commonly because we don't have martyrs commonly, you know, um, here. Uh, in our in our age in our in our part of the world in our society, which um, is is not always the case, like I've said a few times now, and we can see the importance that martyrdom played in the church when we look at these kinds of practices that 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 were focused on the memorial of martyrs and uh, keeping the reality of martyrdom very fresh in in people's minds as an aid in the Christian life, right? It, it's for the purpose of sanctification and faithfulness in the faith. It's not some kind of morbid, you know, curiosity or, or it's not just like a grudge against your enemies, but it's it's tr- like like uh, Lang said, training for, co- for spiritual combat, right? Um, and I'm just really struck by that freshness, like, like how, how close to home 
martyrdom is and was for so many Christians for so long and, and depending on where you go still is. And the impact that that has on the way that you live out your faith. Um, it, it's a really interesting concept to think about for those of us who don't live in that context um, and are blessed with uh, a certain amount of freedom and liberty to not be afraid of that. Um, where as a result of not having to constantly be aware and afraid of, of being martyred, we don't have these kinds of commitments to remembering the martyrs um, because the martyrs aren't part of our community. You know, it's a lot easier to remember and, and, and be reminded of, of that when it's your own cousin or father or neighbor who was martyred, right? Um, so anyway, yeah, I thought that was really important to highlight in this in this episode specifically to just look at like a little bit of the history of the role martyrdom has played in the life of the church. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's a little selfish because I just find it to be such a fascinating topic as well. <laughs> but um, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting. I've actually, I've been reading a book and it has nothing to do with martyrdom per se, um, but something that you were saying kind of came to mind. And so it's it's called Unsettling Truths. And it's, it's a book that's kind of about the quote unquote doctrine of discovery. Um, it's a book about, um, you know, white European settlers coming to the, the Americas and, and sort of it, it's, I haven't, I've only read the first couple of chapters. So like, I don't, I haven't quite you know, made my way through the entire book yet. Um, but this author, um, so Mark Charles, who happens to be of Navajo descent, and um, I don't know why I'm blanking on the other author, but it's it's a dual authorship. Um, but they begin by sort of tracing even in the early couple of centuries, um, you know, the life that Jesus called his followers to, um, the 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 way that he talked about the the persecution, the suffering, the things that they would endure, you know. Um, you know, the one who will not carry his own cross is not worthy of following me. Um, but the, one of the one of the cases that they make in this book is that, you know, in those early centuries, especially when Christianity was heavily persecuted, um, in that persecution, the faith, like, thrived. It, it didn't die, didn't fizzle out, didn't go anywhere. Um, and what, what one thing that they find very interesting as a, you know, a piece of history is under Constantine... So when 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 Christianity sort of became the religion of the the empire, when when Christendom, you know what we call Christendom, became a thing, um, a lot of a, a lot happened because that became a thing because Christendom came into existence. And one of the points that they are, I think, trying to make in the book is that um, some of the motivations from the people that were um, you know, seeking to to establish and then perpetuate this idea, um, we're doing so out of a comfort, wanting to escape the face, like wanting to escape persecution, wanting to escape um, the risk of losing their lives, and maybe in some sense wanting to even escape the threat of martyrdom. Um, and so if, if that is the case, if they're correct in that assessment, like it is interesting to think about that, that there are some people who throughout church history who um, like almost sought martyrdom as like, like, this is like, I, I, this is the life that I'm heading towards and I, I will go this road while there are some in other parts of history who didn't want to take that road. They didn't want to have their lives end in that way. They wanted to live that comfortable, peaceable, um, just, you know, very casual life, if you will. Um, 
And, you know, I'm curious what you think about this, but, but Tertullian in the second century, one of the, you know, one of the early church fathers wrote that the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. Um, that's sort of a, I think a, a famous phrase that is attributed to him. Um, what do you think that means? What do you think it means that the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church? And if that's true, what does that mean for a place like America that, you know, really doesn't even face martyrdom? We don't really have Christian martyrs in our country. Maybe you don't have an answer. I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, no, I think it's it's a good question or, or questions maybe. Um, I think it it reflects, especially, you know, Tertullian writing in the second century or third century, I forget what you just said. <laughs> he he uh, He's living in a time where the church is persecuted, you know, so so that's definitely his his perspective and, and he's seeing face to face, you know, living in North Africa, what under the Roman Empire at a time when Christianity is illegal, you know, he would be intimately f- familiar with and aware of on a personal level, martyrdom, the realities of it. Um, and I think seeing, you know, we can look at people like Stephen, um, even I think of the, the, uh, I forget if it's a centurion or, or just a soldier, at the crucifixion, who I, I think it's the one who pierces Jesus's side with a spear, um, or at least in one of the accounts, I think it's him who, like, I think it's after Jesus dies, and, and there's like the, the the sky darkens, the veil is torn, and all that. Um, it's like after following his death, there's there's a note that this Roman soldier or centurion or whoever says, "Surely this man was the son of God," um, and I think it's that idea where. It's more than just like, wow, these people are so committed. I must take, I must, you know, rethink what they're, what they're, why are they so committed? Like, I think that's part of it where if you see someone who's willing to go to the lengths of, you know, they could get out of being killed and all they have to do is say, oh, I don't believe this, right? Like, that's not a huge, it's a pretty easy thing to do, you know? Um, to get out of being, you know, executed. Like, that's that's pretty, seems like an easy trade, but but so many people not doing that. I think there is an element where it's like, wow, they're really committed. I wonder why. But I think it's more than that because I think in the, the witness of martyrdom and of martyrs, I think that the spirit works in a, in a particular way um, through that example, you know, um, it's not simply a human example. I think it's sort of empowered by the spirit as the martyrs are empowered to remain faithful till the end. Um, but I think that seeing the faithfulness of the church, which one aspect of that is martyrdom, is something that causes, like, it's like preaching the gospel or translating the Bible and distributing it, or living an upright and virtuous and godly life and, and being holy. It's, it's a way that, that we, as the church, not every individual person experiences martyrdom, but the church gives birth to martyrs and always has. And that is a witness that, that, that plants seeds or is the fertile, you know, you know, fertilizes the soil for the seeds um, of the gospel to take root. Um, and I think that that's something that you can see in history, the, the 
easiest and most general example being the fact that for 300 years, Christianity was illegal and it spread all across the Roman Empire, you know, to the point where it was, it, you know, the emperor became a Christian. It was legalized. And then later, another emperor made it the official religion and illegalized other religions. Like, that's quite a turnaround. And there's lots to be said about whether that was a good thing, what was good about it, what was maybe a draw. You know, that's not the point. But the point being, um, the church has never stopped growing, you know. And along that, to kind of answer the second part of your question, um, I think it's really important to remember, like, the church is not American. The church is not Western. The church is not modern. Um, the church is the body of Christ throughout all space, globally, and all time through history. And, at, you know, I think we'll, we'll get into this a little later in the month with some more detail, I think. But um, Christians are still being martyred to, today, even. And... Um, the church, the church, uh, has not stopped, uh, being persecuted, has not stopped experiencing martyrdom, um, and seeing ourselves less as Americans or Europeans or Canadians or whatever, um, and seeing ourselves more and, and not even seeing ourselves as American Christians or Canadian Christians or whatever, um, but seeing ourselves as Christians, I think, changes a lot of perspective. And when we recognize that we have a closer bond with our brothers and sisters around the world whose languages we don't speak, whose faces we don't know, whose cities we've never walked in, um, than we do with our neighbors who live next door and don't know the Lord. And that's not a that's not a reason to hate our neighbors. Quite the opposite, it's a reason to love our neighbors and to be witnesses to them in whatever way uh, we we you know through word and deed and all that. Um, but it is a reality that is easy to forget and difficult to grasp, humanly speaking. Um, so I think it 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 might help us to sort of, in order to retrieve, the, you know, some of the fertile soil that martyrdom produces we don't need to go out and get killed you know um we we don't need to be afraid of that if it ever comes to it because we have the spirit of god within us but we don't need to like invent a scenario where we're gonna die for our faith right um but we also need to remember that those scenarios are happening right now and our brothers and sisters you know we are still experiencing martyrdom and we have the resources and the responsibility uh, and the, the protections that not all Christians do that we can make their voices heard. We can fight to protect them um, from injustices done to them. We can remember them in our prayers. And if we're not doing these things, that's shame on us, you know, repent. And, and we need to do that. Um, but I don't think it's like... It's not a reality for us that our neighbors are going to be killed by the government because they're Christians. And that is a good thing. <laughs> but it's also equally good not to forget that there are Christians who are suffering and dying for the faith. And that is still the reality. And that's our reality in as much as we're Christians. Um, there, there are, There's one body, but many members. Some are strong and some are weak. And, and right now in... In this context, if we're talking about this, you know, persecution and martyrdom, we are 
a part of the body, we meaning people in you know United States, the West, North America, we are a strong part of the body that has resources and protections and liberties that other parts of the bodies are weaker than us in because they don't. Yeah. Weaker meaning they, they are vulnerable, not weaker meaning they're less Christian, obviously. Right. They're, 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 they're being martyred. Um, but, but they, they're more vulnerable to this. And I think that, I don't know if that answers your question. Or yeah, no, that was really good. Rambling at this point. No, that was um, good. But I, I think that's how I would want to look at it is, is, is the church, the church is a, we, it's one body, so um, we don't need to be segmented into different chunks of, of churches, you know. Yeah. Um, and obviously, there's there's logistical sides of things. I get all that, but I just I think more of evaluating what does it mean that we don't experience martyrdom. Maybe we should reframe it and be like, how do we serve our brothers and sisters who are being martyred? Yeah, no, that's um, really helpful. That's good. Yeah. Cool. Well, I mean, I don't have much else to say on, on this episode. So is there anything else that you want to add or do we want to wrap it up? Um, I think we can go ahead and wrap it up. Um, I'm really excited for this this month. It's going to be um, a lot of new things for me in terms of actually like putting some information down on the page and thinking through things, you know. Um, but I think it's going to be really good. And, and I'm really excited to remember the persecuted church both in the past and in the present. Um, and I think that is something that I've, I've al- I'm always wanting to be better at is remembering and praying for those facing persecution. And I think that um, hopefully this, this month will be a good way for all of us to kind of take some time to do that. Um, but yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. So I'll close us out with a prayer from the Valley of Vision um, entitled The Servant in Battle. O Lord, I bless thee that the issue of the battle between thyself and Satan has never been uncertain and will end in victory. Calvary broke the dragon's head, and I contend with a vanquished foe, who with all his subtlety and strength has already been overcome. When I feel the serpent at my heel, may I remember him whose heel was bruised, but who, when bruised, broke the devil's head. My soul, with inward joy, extols the mighty conqueror. Heal me of any wounds received in the great conflict. If I have gathered defilement, if my faith has suffered damage, if my hope is less than bright, if my love is not fervent, if some creature comfort occupies my heart, if my soul sinks under pressure of the fight. O thou whose every promise is balm, every touch life, draw near to thy weary warrior. Refresh me that I may rise again to wage the strife and never tire until my enemy is trodden down. Give me such fellowship with thee that I may defy Satan, unbelief, the flesh, the world, with delight that comes not from a creature, in which a creature cannot mar. Give me a draught of the eternal fountain that lieth in thy immutable, everlasting love and decree. Then shall my hand never weaken, my feet never stumble, my sword never rest, my shield never rust, my helmet never shatter, my breastplate never fall, as my strength rests in the power of thy might. Amen. Amen. So thank you, uh, Lucas. Uh, As you said, I'm also really excited, really looking forward to uh, this month, and we hope that you guys are as well. Um, But specifically, thank you for listening to this episode of the Doxology Podcast. If you want to connect with us, hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at Doxology Podcast. You're also welcome to email us at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We always love your feedback, questions, episode ideas, um, whatever it might be. So uh, until next time, we'll see you. Thank you.
Peace.